Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. Hey everyone, Michelle here. I'm so excited to let you know about Freedom Model International Membership. Get support as you deprogram from the 12 steps and the shackles of addiction recovery. For a low monthly membership fee, you get the Freedom Model online program, which includes our books, our audiobooks, workbooks, and all the additional lessons. You also get the Freedom Model for the Family online program as well. You will get a live members-only two-hour question and answer webinar with Mark and myself the last Wednesday of every month. And each week, we're going to add a new video lesson. We call this the What We Learned This Week series. Lastly, we also have the Freedom Model International monthly newsletter, where we're going to tackle the current events and the latest research for you. All this for just $39.95 per month. You can stay a member for as long as you need, and you can suspend or cancel your subscription whenever you're ready. Go to online.thefreedommodel.org to sign up today. Hey, everyone. Hi. Welcome to another episode of the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sharon. And we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about that having to hit rock bottom is total crap. People don't have to do that. That is another myth. So we're going to dispel that myth and also the myths surrounding that you can't get sober for someone else and and like that there are limited reasons why, you know, in order to be successful, uh, why you can, why you get sober. Yeah. So yeah, like the techniques to get sober are limited, that there's things that- That, um, that aren't going to work for you. Yeah. So let's start with- um, what was the first one? Rock bottom oh, is yeah. bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> rock bottom is bullshit. So, so the question is, what is rock bottom? Because that's such a subjective thing. So, the idea is that somehow you're, um, somebody will say to you, "Listen, you're you haven't hit rock bottom, and and you're struggling because of that." Right, because you didn't get. You, you didn't have enough negative consequences. I mean, that's what rock bottom is, right? right it's, it's, right. it's, you know, the piling on of negative consequences. Um, and I, and later on after Mark talks, I want to talk about where I think that emanates from that whole idea, but go ahead. Yeah. So any, anything that is cost or consequence based, right? Decision-making that is consequence based is against a fundamental human nature of how we're motivated as people. So if you're motivated to change your life, um, it has to be based on something that is attractive. And so when you focus on costs like AA does, where it tells you to keep it green, keep it in the forefront of your mind, how bad it was, you know, always remember your last drunk so because you haven't had it yet. Right. Or, or you haven't had it yet. You know, those sorts of ideas 
are literally counter to how humans change their lives or navigate or evolve. We don't evolve based on deterrence. And we have a chapter in our book, The Freedom Model, that talks about motivators versus deterrence. We also have a chapter on the positive drive principle, which covers this as well. Um, nobody is going to permanently change their life based on a cost that they were willing to pay. And so, uh, so fundamentally, first of all, you have to understand that any consequences are, that, you, that you get uh, from drinking and drugging really weren't uh, unexpected consequences most of the time. They're, they're costs that we're willing to pay at the time. Yeah, risks we're willing to take for sure. That's right. So, uh, But on the front end of that is there's a benefit to be had or a perceived benefit to be had in the drinking or drugging uh, habit. And so, so telling somebody that they have to concentrate on costs um, and consequences and pain and hitting rock bottom and make sure that it's really painful so that it deters them from using is really a small factor in the process of change. I'm not saying that costs don't factor in. Right, of course. You know, um, certainly the pain of drinking and drugging and those costs and consequences can be can can help make some decisions or, or maybe change the trajectory of your current use, but it's not going to motivate you to change. There's a very big difference between being deterred, right? Being knocked off course and being motivated to move to a new horizon. Right. So the treatment industry takes this to a whole new level. This this idea of being motivated by the fear of consequences. And and you know, they, I can remember um being being in a meeting and one of my friends at the meetings was a counselor and I was talking about, you know, well that hasn't happened to me. Yeah. That hasn't happened to me and they're like that's not yet. Oh yeah, the not yet. It's not yet. Would you just go out and try some controlled drinking and see how that goes for you? Yeah. And and it's like it's this setup. It's this setup. Let's see how low you can go. Um and and I the whole rock bottom idea it really just kind of comes from well when somebody's life gets too unacceptable for them, that's when they change. And and I'm you know, for some people that's how it starts, but then there are just people that are like, you know what? this is boring and I don't want to do this anymore. Or, um, you know, I, I, or you fall in love and you want to be a better person for that person that you fall in love with. That happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Or you have mm -hmm. a baby and all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, I gotta be a mom. Now, just because there are people that don't change when those huge major life events happen, it, it just means that those people weren't positively motivated by those life-changing events. Right, right, right. And and just because you don't agree with their choice to not stop for their kids or whatever it might be or their marriage doesn't mean that they didn't choose that right. un unfortunate, you know, sort of pattern yeah. in their life um, because they saw a perceived benefit on something else, on the drinking and drugging that was greater to them than the marriage or the the baby. And it's usually not black and white like that either. No, There's usually so many different factors in people's lives. But people on the outside will pick, well, you, you drink and drug and um, your kids pay the price for that. That may be true, but there are many factors in that person's life as to why they drink and drug that 
maybe they're not discussing or being open about the perceived benefits of cocaine or crack or drinking or heroin or whatever it might be um, are so great to that person and their perceived benefits. They may not even be getting the benefits, but they're so they've been so marketed to these people have been so marketed to, and they believe the marketing, they believe the hype to such a dramatic degree that it is worth uh, the price they're paying. Yeah. And, and that is motivation. That's motivation to use. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we have, I had a couple people talking in this discussion in our group about, you know, well, what about the people that didn't develop a a serious alcohol problem until they were middle-aged, right? Mm. We see this all the time where, you know, you might've been kind of a partier when you were in college, but, but then you got, you know, you fell in love, you got married, you started a career, you had all these things going for you that were positively motivating you in the direction not to be a party animal anymore. That happens to a lot of people. Yep. You get kind of to 40s, in some cases, a little bit later, early 50s, and the blush is off the rose, so to speak, like life just kind of, maybe you're in a bad marriage, maybe your kids have grown up and left, um, maybe or, your or career- maybe- or maybe you're even successful. Yes, successful. Right? And, your and, career, and, you've achieved everything you've wanted. And you're bored. Yep. And you're bored. And 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 you know, life is comfortable. In some cases, it's just a matter that life is comfortable and everything's good. Mm-hmm. And you want some excitement in your life. There are all these reasons. And so if you have this, you know, if you have this belief system about alcohol being something that can make your life more exciting or cocaine or whatever it is or something that can help you to relax when you're stressed out. And then you have, you combine it with maybe you had some really fun, awesome experiences when you were younger that were totally magical with alcohol. Um, you might go looking for that. Right, right. Now, now when we talk about being really magical like that, when you're young, you can believe in, in the sort of- the All kinds thing. of magic. We all yeah. believed in Santa Claus, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's exactly right. So, so alcohol, when you're younger, can can be that magical elixir. But here's what's interesting. When you have somebody that starts drinking at 50 and never partied, they might also find it magical because it's new. Because it's a new experience. That's so, right. so when you have the newness coupled with the marketing that you've had for 50 years in Western culture, that this this powerful elixir, right, is going to make your stress go away or make your anxiety less or uh or make you feel younger and and prettier and yeah exactly yeah or sometimes people drink because they feel like they've earned the right to a mini vacation and it becomes their daily vacation or a binge vacation Mm -hmm. so there's different ways that people drink and drug and and um so, so the point is sometimes there's all kinds of drinking or drugging habits that, res- that happen at various ages yes. for various reasons. Yes. But in none of those situations do you have to, if you want to change it, do you have to make it painful? We have an example in the right. book where we say, if you're going to change a job, nobody goes up to their boss and says, can you please abuse me and punish me <laughs> so that I can make the decision to change and leave this job? That would be really crazy. Yeah. But yet that's what the recovery society is constantly telling you to do. Please, boss, punish me. Make it so that this, I hate my job so much that I'll leave it. Can you see in that example how deterrents don't work? Wouldn't you leave the job if you found something better, a better job? That's the example we give in the book. And I, I think that's true. There's no doubt that 
sometimes a job is bad enough that you might leave, but you really don't leave until you got something better. And something better might be just leaving. Yes. And and getting on unemployment. It might be finding a new job. The point is, as soon as you make the decision to change your life in any way or capacity, it's because you see benefit in the change, not because of the deterrent. Now, that's right. That's exactly right. Now, even when you're highly motivated to change, okay, say you, you had got this better offer for a new job, but it's with a totally new company. It's a different position. It may be, you know, it's the unknown. There's going to be trepidation. There's going to be a certain amount of, oh my God, is this going to be yeah. fear, yeah. anxiety? Yeah. So, so even when you have all this, where it looks like I'm moving in a really positive direction, you know, there's going to be that, that habit, that habit. Well, what would my, what would my life look like when I change this job? What will my life look like when I don't have alcohol in it every day? That's right. So there's, there's a certain benefit in the security of the status quo. Yeah. So sometimes, um, we're drinking and drugging, looking at the perceived benefits of that process of that habit. And then something really bad does happen. It's a cost you're willing to pay. And all of a sudden it's a big cost, right? Yeah. So you have this moment of deterrence. Maybe it's a month where you're losing your wife or you get a DUI or there's some, some really cataclysmic event that shakes you and yeah. deters you for a little while. But then there's something weird that happens. Mm -hmm. And that is our positive drive will kick in. And because humans are motivated by the pursuit of happiness, if we don't fill in that, that sort of vacuum that alcohol once filled, you're going to go back to the alcohol because you see benefit in it. So the key to this whole thing is challenging the perceived benefits. I, we see it all the time on the groups, right? Yeah. On the Facebook groups and these different seminars. When that people we do. are waffling, yes. waffling, they put together, you know, I, I, they may not just put together a period of abstinence, but sometimes they put together a period of, of really good, moderate drinking. And then, and then they, you know, they drink more than they want in a particular drinking event on a night. And the next day they're like throwing in the towel, like, see, I'm one of those people that can't drink like other people. And it's like, no, for that evening, you changed your mind. You were like, no, I'm going to get drunk. And, but, but you got drunk based on the perceived benefit, the, the perception in your mind that that alcohol, drug, whatever it might be, has some real benefit to you, whether it's escapism, whether it causes you to get rid of your depression, whether it, uh, you, you feel like it, it, um, it, it gets rid of boredom, it helps you sleep. There's all these yeah, things. Yeah, oh, maybe you just like the feeling. You, liked, yep. you, wanted your, you wanted to feel differently in your brain for a little while, you know? And so, so the, the key to that is... It, when something like that happens, it's like, oh, it, it's no different than if you, you know, have a good diet and one day you go off the diet. I mean, it's if you what happens is because of the recovery culture, people you heap onto yourself all these self-doubts, all this um, I, I, you know, this negative self-talk that I'm broken. Clearly, I can't drink like other people. You attach so much meaning to it that's meaningless that's not real that's made up that's that's important you know that that instead of just being like okay i i had fun you know i mean nothing bad happened i mean if you look at, it, at the reality for what it is sorry i just hit my microphone <laughs> if you look at the reality for what it is um you're just trying to 
figure out. Okay, I want to make sure our microphones are working. Yeah. Um, I'll check the volume. Go ahead. Yeah, you're just trying to figure out what what you want. Was that something that I wanted? Was it fun? How much fun was it? Um, it doesn't have, don't attach all this other meaning to that one isolated event. Yeah. So if you're, if you think that there's all these benefits, mm-hmm. the, one of the things that, that is, when you're waffling, it's, I'm going to give another example. A good metaphor is a really bad relationship. Mm. And that's one of the most uh, painful, draining things that you can go through as a human being when you stay in a relationship that is you get slices of love coupled with a tremendous amount of pain and dissatisfaction. But because our positive drive principle is so profound within us, our desire to be happier, uh, we will hang on to scraps of love if that's what we feel we are worth. And we do the same exact thing with drinking and drugging. We have a relationship with the drug that's based on mythology. We have actually personified or made human drugs. We talk about them as if there's a battle, as if they have motivation to kill you and control you and addict you. And because we talk about it that way, we develop relationships with with these substances. For sure. And so when we develop this love-hate relationship, it is like a bad marriage. And that is we get a little high on the front end and then it turns into a disaster. But but as long as we are motivated by happiness, which is inherent, it's immutable, you can't stop yourself from desiring greater, happy, uh, happier life. As long as you desire that happier life, I guarantee you, you will go back to the drug if you don't see a better option. And or if you don't challenge the benefit and devalue the drug, I spend four weeks with people, four solid weeks devaluing the mythology of the powers and personification of drugs. And when that process is finished, the person is left with one thing, and that is the drug has a physical sensation that you may find pleasurable and maybe a mild fantasy that you might like in moderate use. Um, And most people, to be honest, that come here abstain, Mm 62.5% abstain for the rest of their lives because they're like, you know what? I think I'm done with this. I'm ready to move on. Yeah. It doesn't hold the value it once did for me. I went Mark was talking, I was thinking about, you know, personifying the substance. I, I can remember saying to someone when I was drinking every day and I would drink all day long and then I would go by myself to this bar that was down the street from my house and I would sit there and I can remember saying to someone that alcohol was the only thing I could rely on. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was the only thing. The only thing that never let me down, which, you know, it's all that you think yeah, that way. Yeah, it's your you best do. friend. It's you your do. confidant. It's, you know, you personify it. And so when you're in it and then you go to AA and it's still personified. Well, it's not only personified, it's built up massively. Bigger, bigger. Massively that it's cunning, baffling and powerful. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's literally none of those things. None. It is only that which you make it in your mind because you're the only one home. Yeah. There is no mind in the drug. So how could it be powerful? It doesn't have the capacity to saturate your brain tissue and make you think differently, contrary to what you might believe. If you believe that, you're deep in the mythology, deep, yeah, deep. And that's really problematic. And you're going to desire it because if you think 
that a drug can go into your brain tissue and change the content of your thoughts or lower your inhibitions or make you sexier or make you more creative. I know I'm hitting buttons here because mm -hmm. nearly everybody in the audience thinks that shit. Yeah. Because I did too. She did too. And, but, but objectively, scientifically, it does none of those things. What does for anyone for anyone at any point, the drug does not change the content of the human mind. So if you don't believe me, read the book, read the research, the freedom model for addictions, it's all there for you. So we spent 32 years parsing this out so that you can devalue the drug and basically make it the drug itself, which is a substance that tickles the body in certain ways that you may find pleasurable physically that you then imbue with magic. And the magic is the problem. Yeah. It's a huge problem because you build value, deep abiding love into a drug that can't give it back to you. You know, a lot of, most of the people that we work with that come here to the retreat, um, the people that need the retreat are, are in most cases um, at a point in their lives where, where they're, they just feel really, really helpless and yeah, hopeless. They need a reset. And they need a hard reset. And, and what we find is they've gotten to that point where they know it's not making them as happy as they could be. They, they, they feel lost, but a lot of, but, but a lot of them aren't like this whole rock bottom idea. Yes. Get, you know, they're, yeah. they're not like their lives. They haven't thrown their whole lives away. Most people don't do that. Yeah. It's actually, so what is a definitive rock bottom is death, right? We, right. We, we that, can, that's right. So how close do you want to get to the cliff's edge based on somebody who really doesn't know you, a sponsor, a therapist yeah. who says you need to hit rock bottom? Yeah. You, you just didn't get low enough. Yeah. I mean, but we need to go back to how humans are motivated. You can, do you really want to destroy your life so that you make a better decision that that's somehow going to motivate you to change? Has it worked so far? Right. I, I mean, I might point out how, how bad does shit have to get? I believed all that stuff. And then I got into a car accident and I almost killed two of my buddies. And that's the advice that got me there. Right. I didn't have to do that. I probably could have stopped when I was 14 years old. Right. Right. I, you know, I can remember I was in this group of women and we were at a diner after a meeting and, and there was ah, the old diner. Oh gosh. And one of the women that was a close friend of mine at the time, um, you know, this woman, I was new and she had a little kid and the one woman said, well, we can't get sober for your child. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, um, and then I asked her afterwards, cause she was, she'd been in there longer than I had. And I'm like, that sounds like a perfectly great reason to want to change your life. Yeah. You know, and she, oh no, she has to do it for her. And, and I thought, I thought that's a bunch of shit. And it is because what, whatever you have to look for something, if, if I'm going to be happier being a good mom and being a good mom to me means that I'm not getting drunk at three o'clock in the afternoon. That's a damn good reason to want to change my life and, and stop now. It's probably the number one reason yeah. for heavy users that are female and male. Yes. Is, is that kids. I want to, yeah, I, I want to, kids is probably and career. 
kids yep. and career. I mean, I can remember thinking, I mean, I grew up with a heavy drinking parent and, um, and it was most of the time it's pretty awful. And, and I can remember thinking there's no way that I'll have kids while I'm drinking like this. I mean, I would never do that. Um, and there's no way I'm going to treat my spouse the way my mother was treated. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I want that cycle was ending with me. Um, I didn't want any of that. And I didn't have any of that. I mean, it was when I decided I wanted to change, it was because I, I wasn't, I wasn't building the life that would make me happy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the key to this, if you, if you're catching on the key to all of this decision-making when it, decision-making and change, um, when it comes to substance use is devaluing the drug first. Yeah. Because as long as it's a shiny object in your mind, as yes. long as it's that big shiny disco ball saying, oh, it is the answer to all of my mental ills and my stresses and I self-medicate. If you believe that, there isn't a damn thing somebody's going to do to change it. Yeah. If you think you need it for this and that, the other thing, if you think you need it in your life for happiness, for even if it's a tiny little sliver of it that, that only you only seem to feel after the second or third drink, hmm. um, yeah, you know, it, which is a lot of people would admit that to me. I start to feel, well, we do the binge construct. They, they like, oh, I feel that magic. Sometimes you feel the magic when you're fixing your drink, right? The ritual of They're it. going to get your heroin. Yeah, exactly. You haven't even put it in your body and you already feel relief. Yep. It's hilarious. It's, it's just because you're going to do something that you enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, but then the remorse usually sets in pretty quickly. It becomes more and more fleeting. And, and it's just this cycle of, of seeking relief, feeling it for a minute. And then the the process of self-deprecation and just self-flogging. And, 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 and chasing chasing the fantasy that the drug is going to fix you yep. and fix your emotional state. And it doesn't. Nope. Here's what happens is when it when people become disillusioned and suddenly somewhere in their drinking or drugging career, the benefit of the fantasy that you had when you were 15 or 50 or whenever you started getting high gets shorter and shorter. The fantasy that you have in your mind about it gets shorter. And suddenly reality becomes a part of the drinking or drugging uh. Uh, process in a given binge. Then you find that it's about one or 2% fun and fantasy and about 90% chasing desperately this youthful fantasy that you used to have while you'd get wasted. And the problem is, is that with wisdom, we start to see alcohol and drugs within our bodies as, for what they are, which is a, a, a physical sensation. Yep. And your mind supersedes the physical buzz. It starts to observe, the, the human mind starts to observe all these things happening <laughs> right. in the body. And it says, this isn't really working. Oh, and by the way, you still have bills. You still have kids to take care of. You still have to figure out what you're going to do about that legal obligation. And all that stress comes back, even though you're saturated with alcohol or drugs. Yes. If we're honest, anybody that's being honest knows that all of that stress, all of those worries are there. They're still there when you're there. intoxicated. That's right. That's right. So if you're, so the question then becomes, all right, they're telling you, you can't change for your kids. So you shouldn't have positive motivation. <laughs> what you should do is delve deeper into how shitty this experience is. But the only thing that does is makes the beginning of the high look more attractive because you're banking on, 
hey, I get this little fantasy. Yes. I get this little section of relief. And what that becomes is a desperate, vicious cycle. And it's all based on misinformation. The misinformation is that the drugs can actually change the content of your mind and they can't. Right. So we have to, we have to hit it at the root of the problem, which is this strange idea we have in Western culture that drugs are magical, mental, and emotional, which are products of our mind, medicinal agents, and they're not. So I want to just hit quickly before, before we're done. I, there was somebody that, that wrote a, it was just today on, uh, on the group about um, other non-drug, non-alcohol related addictions. And, and when you get caught up thinking, and, and this is why the freedom model can help with these other things. If that if that's your problem, if your problem is gambling or sex or shopping or something like that, and and you're talking to some kind of addiction specialist who's telling you about dopamine and all of these other things, what you're doing is you're in fantasy land because you're you're acting like you're not in control. You're always in control. You're always in control. Nobody does any of these activities incessantly until they're dead. And they don't do any of these activities without thought being involved. Exactly. There's if, if you had no mind or thoughts, you wouldn't be alive, right? Your body would simply go limp. You couldn't pick up a cup of coffee. You couldn't do anything. So this idea that somehow you're engaging in all of these human processes without any control, if you have a lack of control, what that says is that you would be mindlessly like a zombie behaving haphazardly because a loss of control. That's what it means. That's what it means. You can't, there's not a little bit. Yeah, that's it. You can't have a little bit of control, but a loss of control, loss of control means you're out of control. So you would be literally talking then nonsensically. You, you, you know, you would have no control over your body. You might have a convulsion on the floor. I mean, that's literally what loss of control means. So you can't have a loss of control to go get crack or to go to the refrigerator, or to watch porn and masturbate. You can't have all these processes happening in your mind without volition, without desire, without knowing this is what I want. This is what I want. And if I do it at, to the exclusion of other things in my life, I mean, there are a whole lot of things that you do and I want you to look at all of this repertoire of things that you enjoy, right? Uh, whatever they are, there's probably a whole lot of things that you used to enjoy um, you, that you didn't do it to excess. You didn't do it. Why not? So, so the key is to figure out why am I doing this activity? And, and that is what are the perceived benefits? Exactly. And we're so afraid to look at benefits because we've been trained not to look at them. We've been trained to look at deterrence, consequences, pain, and we ignore the treatment industry has been so good at their marketing. We ignore the problem solving process of, yeah, I like I like this activity. Yeah, I find value in it. And then when you do that, you will suddenly realize that the benefits are very small. Right. You've built them up. You've put them on this pedestal that you can't get these benefits that you think you're getting from anything else. That's right. To you know, and it's not real. That's it's not all, true. That's all treatment and uh substance use marketing and treatment and recovery marketing. And they wouldn't have a job. You know, if you suddenly realize that you can simply in your mind go, maybe this drug isn't doing what I think it's doing and let me get educated about that. Um, you don't need a rehab. 
Or maybe this activity that I love so much, I would love it actually more if I made it something that wasn't all consuming in my life. Right. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I, oh, I go back to, there are a lot of different foods people love to eat. Um, you don't, when you, when you ha have chocolate cake, you don't have the whole cake. Right. You have a piece of cake. Um, now somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna say, oh, food addicts would have the whole cake. They'd have the whole cake because they think they they want it. They think they'd be happier having a whole cake than having one piece. Yeah, it's not some biologic thing that's happening that's no. driving them. It's it's simply uh, they they see value in having the cake, and that's okay. And it's okay. That's the other part of this. You are not bad or immoral or weak because right. you like these activities and you like to do them to the extent that you like to do them. That that whole thing, that whole label that I'm um, broken, and then you look for all these underlying reasons why you're broken, and it's like, no, you're human. Humans, you know, as we it, pleasure is subjective, and we all get derived pleasures from different things. Doesn't make us bad or good or weak willed. Um, it just means that sometimes we have what Mark calls logical errors, um, where we think if a little of this is it makes me feel really good, then a lot is going to yeah. solve my ills, That's you know, right. and let me delve into that fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So go ahead. No, go. You're, you're going to tie it up. So. I know I want you to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's really important that, um, you hit this from a bunch of different angles. We covered a lot of ground here. I think what, what's important to know is that if you want to know more about this and you want to devalue the drug, right? Which is the linchpin. We have a program that is super affordable. You can get a, a membership with Free Model International for $39.95 a month. And Michelle and I teach you exactly how to do that. Um, and I don't know how many videos, there's over 80 videos total within that course. Uh, and their tutorials that we give just and we, we're adding more videos every week. We we do new video lessons each week called What Have We Learned This Week? Yeah, I'll be giving one uh, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, well, it'll be posted. It'll be posted uh, next week. But to get those, you have to be a member. And um, there's also so you have the Free Model Online Program. You have the Free Model for the Family Online Program. You have all our books, our audio books, the workbooks all kinds of ancillary stuff. Uh, we have a two hour live Q and a where you can ask us questions live. I want to talk about that for just a minute because in our la the one we didn't would do it the last Wednesday of the month. Um, so this month it'll be May 25th from 3 PM to 5 PM. So if you want to talk to us live, um, the both of us together, you know, set your alarm, set your clock, you know, yeah. make sure you have the time to do that. We had, um, we only had two people log in, which I'm, you know, it's was brand new. I think people didn't know what to expect. It was a little yeah. bit intimidating. Right. Um, but we ended up giving to each of these people a 40 minute class, class with us. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And so, so that's what it is like. Um, and so it was 40 minutes for one person and 40 minutes for another person. And I mean, it and we were also training people at the same time. So it was, it was really a great, um, I, I this is, it's just such a great value. Yeah, it is. It is. So, uh, you go to online.thefreedommodel.org. Um, and if you are, if you need a hard reset, 
give Danny White a call at 888-424-2626 and, and he'll tell you about the retreat. We've been running the St. Jude retreat now for 32 years and we've helped over 25,000 people move past this problem. He'll also give you the option to do the Freedom Model uh, private instruction program, mm -hmm. which is a uh, you basically one-on-one -on -one classes with um, a certified Freedom Model instructor. Yep. And I mean, it's on your schedule. It's there's Zoom. It's over Zoom primarily. The classes range from 60 to 90 minutes. Typically, it takes people about 12 classes yeah. to complete the, the program. You're, you're going through the book, but you're also getting um, the additional lessons, which are the, you know, the binge construct and life movements. And it's, it, we will work at your pace because it's private. So whether it takes you 12 classes or 15 classes or 20 classes, as long as you're making some consistent progress, we'll keep going until it's done. Right. Um, so that's, that's what people, that investment, that's what that's for yeah. is it usually um, takes people 10 to 12 classes though, yeah. To, yep. to completely revolutionize their life. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. So, all right. So remember 888-424-2626. If you want to contact us, if you're looking to, to get a membership, it's online.thefreedommodel.org. And thanks everyone. We'll see you next week. All right, everybody. Take care.